Good morning, afternoon, or evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Little Light Devotions. Super privileged that you all join me here this whenever. I am going to be walking through a sermon that I actually just did a few days ago while um, I was doing my ordination sermon. So for those of you who do not know, this past Wednesday, August the 2nd, I was ordained as a minister of the gospel through Charm City Church, which means I am now officially a pastor. I praise God for that wonderful, wonderful blessing that I have. I am truly, truly privileged. I, I am floored at the amount of positivity. I am floored at the amount of support that I've gotten over the years as I work towards this goal. And it could not have been possible without my wife, without my friends, especially without my pastor, Michael Euphemia, and Charm City Church and everybody involved with that. So the passage that I spoke on was, the biggest thing I wanted people to take away from it was this idea that ultimately, ultimately, we want Jesus to be a part of who we are more than anything else. Uh, we want that to be exhibited in every aspect of who we are and what we are. And I took this from the book of Acts chapter 4, the book of Acts chapter 4, uh, and it starts off like this. While they were speaking to the people um, by they, it's uh, Peter and John. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? What they had done was they had healed a disabled man in Jerusalem. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. So we'll just start off from the top and work our way down here. While they were speaking to the people, Peter and John were in the temple uh, in Jerusalem right after Pentecost, and they were going to pray. And while they were there, Peter heals this disabled man and proceeds to preach to the people about repentance, about coming to Christ, about all these things. So the religious leaders come and they put Peter and John under arrest. And immediately my mind goes to this, uh, to this very, very common knowledge that people whose opinions uh, are more bolstered by their pride often try to shut down any dissenters. If you are confident in what you believe, you do not have to take like physical action against people to uh, 
accomplish your goals, to get your opinion out there. If you feel like your arguments are good on their own, you shouldn't need force. You shouldn't need other people to bring about obedience to your opinion. You should be able to convince people on your own. And Peter and John clearly could do that. A few verses down, it says that the number of the people that converted were about 5,000 people. Clearly, the message that Peter and John were giving was resonating. They were being convincing. And this takes me to a passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, which, you know, very coincidental that Peter wrote this himself. It says, But in your hearts uh, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's 1 Peter 3.15. Peter had this message to give, and he was able to deliver it eloquently, but the Sadducees and the other religious leaders, the high priestly family and things like that, they were more focused on getting obedience rather than uh, persuading hearts. And that's not how you operate as a good leader. As If you're going to be a leader, you need to be able to convince people. You need to be able to guide people down the right path, not just shut out dissenters. So many who heard that message believed number came to about 5,000. Um, like I said before, Peter was able to convince these people and the childish and prideful behavior that was exhibited by the Jewish religious leaders could not get away in the work of the Spirit because nothing's going to stop the work of the Spirit. When you go and you are acting in the work of the Spirit, the things the devil will try and put in the way, it will not stop it. Nothing is more powerful than God, the work of the Spirit in you. But the world is going to put pressure on you to conceal your faith. And when it does do that, do not back down. Look, every time I've shared my faith, only good has come of it. Now, that does not mean that every single time you share your faith, someone is going to get saved. But what it does mean is that, you know, there is that potential. Someone can see the reality of their sin and be saved. That's very true. Or at the very least, we are sowing seeds for them to be saved in the future, casting doubt in their heart about, you know, the ideas of getting their own salvation or whatever other religion or philosophy they might believe in. We'd be planting those seeds, and at the very, very bare minimum, your faithfulness and obedience to Christ is storing up treasures for yourself in heaven, right? So the next day, this comes around, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, they all assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, all the members of that high priest family. So notice how Annas, the high priest, the one who should have all the answers and shouldn't have a problem at all dealing with some rogue preachers, is the same guy who brings his entourage, his posse, to back him up as he deals with his problems. Not only was it his posse, but it was his whole family. You know, certainly nepotism was running deep within that high priestly system. And we need to, we need to make sure that we as the church... Are, are not thinking that we are so above the failings of our flesh in the same ways when we are concerning spiritual systems, right? We, we look at these Jewish leaders and we go, oh my goodness, how could you be so arrogant? Oh my goodness, how could you be so ignorant? Oh, blah, 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 blah. And we disparage these men and women of old for good reason. They were very clearly being foolish. But we, at the same time, are 
using them as a punching bag, but not using them the way that we ought to. And very oftentimes we ought to be using their failures as reflections as our of our own failures. I have seen great men and women fail and fall completely on their face, spiritually speaking, because the word of God was not regarded in their lives as highly as it should have been. Now, this is very clearly seen in the nation of Israel, and especially with her high priests. So don't let it happen to you. This idea that we can just do whatever we want because we are the bride of Christ, we're the church, you know, that that did not stop God from severely correcting the Israelites, from no longer working with them to now working with the church. I mean, God totally changed up his plan. I understand God's plan is eternal and he knows everything. He knew what he was going to do. But the spoken plan that he had of, I'm working with the nation of Israel to bring about the Messiah and bring the light of, of myself into the world and restore the relationship that I had with man of the Garden of Eden. I'm using Israel to do that. But Israel was not having it at all. They were so focused on building themselves up that God said, all right, we're done with that. We're going to head to the church. But here's the thing about the church, and we need to heed what Romans 11 says. We, as the church, were grafted into the belief system and the promises of the nation of Israel. And it is the root of Judaism that allows the church to grow. We ought not be so prideful in thinking that just because we're the bride of Christ, that God will not allow us to fully reap the consequences of our actions. It happened with Israel. It happened with Israel. And God had to effectively turn from Israel to the church because of their corruption, their unbelief. And I mean, this is just... A tiny bit has just seemed like this in the nepotism of the high priestly family. This is behavior. And these are things that we should not tolerate in the church at all. Like how the Bible says we need to get rid of the sin in the camp. And so often churches don't do that. They allow for sin to fester behind their pulpits and their deacon boards and their presbytery. Whatever they are going to utilize for their church governance, they allow corruption to settle in. They allow all these things to run amok. And it's not just within the Catholic Church or the or the Orthodox. It happens very much in our own Protestant sector, very much in non-denominational churches and Baptist churches and Lutheran churches. People are in it for themselves. And God says in Romans 11, we need to have fear against that because just as much as we were grafted in, we can be grafted right back out. And Peter recognized this. He wasn't going to allow the pressures of the world to silence him because he knew that there was something greater at stake. So even with this pressure, Peter began preaching one of the most powerful sermons we see in the book of Acts. And he does this in response to their question because they ask him, by what power or by what name have you done this? And I mean, this is a good question. Where it's coming from is not a good place, but it's a good question. And it's one that we should be asking about any spiritual teacher. Because the reality is the world says that there are a bunch of different avenues to God and there are a bunch of different religions. But I'm telling you, if there's a teaching of someone that does not directly point to Christ, then that person's teachings are coming directly from the devil. All right, there are really only two religions in the world. You're either serving God or you're serving Satan. Now, you can serve Satan with a bunch of different flavors, but you're still just only serving Satan. It could be Islamic extremism or liberal Buddhism, whatever it is. If it's not pointing to Christ, it's pointing to the devil. It's pointing to hell. As a Christian, everything you do should be pointed to Christ. 
And this is exactly what Peter does in spite of all the pressure that's around him. And this ties back into what we said earlier, to not let people pressure you out of your faith and your testimony. Our world tries to do that today so hard. They pressure and they pressure and they pressure Christians to stay silent on their testimony, but we cannot relent. That doesn't mean going around and be obnoxious and arrogant. I'm not advocating for that by any means. But always be able to give your attitude to the guidance of the Holy Spirit so that way when the time comes, we can be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks us for the hope that we have. Peter said, It is that faith that he had in Christ that healed the disabled man. In fact, he goes on to say that Jesus was not merely part of the healing process for that disabled man, but that he was the whole reason for the healing of that disabled man. Like verse 11 says, Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, for those of you who don't know, the cornerstone was the strongest piece of the foundation uh, that the rest of the building basically hinged upon. And there was nothing greater to call Jesus because there is nothing greater than Jesus. And we should never lose sight of that. God forbid it, but, you know, if if I were, if, if the Charm City Church were to collapse and I were to die or lose my pastoral ministry or whatever else, Christ is still the cornerstone. All this stuff, it's not about me. It's not about my ordination. It's not about Charm City Church. It's not about Baltimore. It's not about anything. It's about Christ alone, who is our cornerstone. In fact, that word cornerstone comes from the same root word in the Greek as the word head, like, you know, the top of your body. And that reminds me of the passage in Colossians 2, 8 and 10, where Christ is the head it talks about. Hold on, let me, let me pull that up. I need, I need to pull that up. Colossians 2, 8 through 10. It says this, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Christ is the head, and he is the first and preeminent part of your life, or at least he should be. And that's the thing. Becoming more and more holy is not about doing things more and more correctly. It's not about getting the right answers, doing the right things. A lot of people can just say things, do things. Becoming more holy is about focusing all your actions and beliefs through Christ. So I've mentioned a couple times now that I was a teacher uh, last school year, the 2022-2023 school year at Rosedale Christian Academy. And I had the privilege of teaching Bible at that school, speaking to sixth graders every day about God and his love for them. And uh, towards the end of the year, I kind of ran out of material in the book. So I just started making up stuff. And we started walking through the five solas. And obviously the first one being sola scriptura. And that's Latin for meaning only scripture. And I believe sola scriptura is often mischaracterized as this belief where we think that the Bible is the only authority for anything and everything. But I don't entirely think that that's an accurate assessment of what the meaning behind sola scriptura is. God, even in his word, gives a way for many avenues of authority all throughout society. I believe sola scriptura is the belief that all of that authority, all of the teachings of the world, all of your thoughts, all your desires, they need to be first filtered through the scrutiny of the word of God. That's what true holiness is. It's not just an action, 
but the changing of who you are inside and out by the power of the Holy Spirit through the influence of the Word of God. And with this, Peter gives his powerful conclusion to his sermon. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. That's absolutely powerful. It's the verse I go to when I'm talking with anyone that thinks that Jesus is simply just a way to God. Our world desperately, desperately wants to bind to the ideal of relativism so that they can continue to push their more and more godless agendas into every aspect of society. We can talk about how to stop this through economy and social policies and all these things. We vote in the right person. Just get Donald Trump in one more time, guys. I promise everything we fixed. No, it ultimately starts off with one's view of God. If your view of God is relaxed and subjective, then who's to say that these really weird cults like the Mormons or Scientologists or even the Satanists don't have some sort of point? The reality is, unless your faith is set in something concrete, your values are not concrete, and that's what's leading our society deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole of injustice and chaos every single day. When you turn off this podcast, when you go out of Spotify, when you go out of, you know, Apple, whatever, Samsung smart fridge, I don't care. When you close out of this and you're done for the day, you go out into that world and you have a choice to make. And you need to make the choice to take the bold stand for Christ. Um, when I was in college, I'm pretty sure I've told the story before, but it's such a good one. When I was in college, uh, during COVID, I was able to attend a church called Olive Baptist Church. And this church, love it, still you know, holds a dear place in my heart even to this day. And I remember leaving that church. And on the stop signs that they have as you exit the property to go on to the main roads, on the stop signs underneath of it, they say, you are now entering the mission field. Think about that every single time you leave your house. Put that, put that on, on the door as you leave your home. As you leave your home, put that in your car. So when you get out of your car, you're, you're, not on, you're, not, you're no longer in your little bubble of Christian safety. You are going out into the world to represent the gospel, to take a bold stand for the truth of Christ. So that leads us to our key verse to what we're talking about today. The main thought that I want to send you all away with. The very last verse that we talked about. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. If I could get anything on my epitaph, it would be that right there. That I had been with Jesus. That's my biggest desire. My biggest desire isn't money or fame or even more honorable things like a big happy family. But my biggest desire is to point as many people as I can to the glory of Jesus. Is that your desire? Is that something that is a part of your life, a desire to reflect Jesus? Because whether you like it or not, people are going to reflect back on you once you're gone. Are they going to reflect on a man more concerned with his career over the things of God? Are they going to reflect on a mother that was more angry than loving? Are they going to reflect on a child that was disobedient and rebellious? Or are they going to reflect on a person that was with the Lord? Being married is obviously a very key part of my life. And a couple weeks ago, I went and I got my first set of tattoos. That's a whole other discussion that we could have. Um, but I got Yeshua Hu Mashiach on my wrist. It says Jesus is Messiah. 
And I also got my wedding band tattooed on my finger because I want to be able to show my marital status everywhere I go forever. All right. That is my deepest, that's one of the things most proud about is my marital status with the woman of my dreams. I show my marital status everywhere I go. My phone wallpaper, my conversations, my ring. Even if I have my ring on, I take it off. Guess what? It's still on because it's tattooed on my finger now. Everyone knows I'm married because it's part of who I am. Is being Jesus's part of who you are? Do you have that same enthusiasm? Is talking about Jesus something that brings you joy or is it something that brings you shame and discomfort? Now, listen, growing to learn to be appreciative of the conversations you have about Jesus is something that's going to take time. You're not going to just jump up and be the best Christian and know how to converse with the unsaved world right away. I get that. But are you just not growing in your love for God? If that's the case, you really really need to reconsider about where you're standing with God is. Have you trusted in the gospel? What is the reason that you are a Christian? Is it something you just do? Or is it something that that you trust in? Do you trust in Jesus? Or do you simply believe that he's a good guy and all this other stuff? There are a lot of questions you need to work through if you're still feeling shame for, for talking about Jesus. Now, if you're a brand new Christian and you're not too sure what to do, that's completely understandable. If you're still a baby Christian and you're trying to go, hey, I'm just proud of you for showing up to church and reading your Bible. But for those of you who are older, for those of you who are more mature, those of you that should know what to say, that should know better, but still don't because you've been too lazy at it, listen, don't let your spiritual body go unnourished. Let being Jesus's be a part of who you are. All right, we're so focused on our careers, our education, our relationships, but we so often neglect being gods. But we need to be like Peter and John so that when other people look at us, they say, wow, they must have been with Jesus. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to find all my social info, all of my audiobook info and everything in between, go to linkapp.com slash AC underscore LL. That's L-I-N-Q-A-P-P dot com slash AC underscore LL. If you like more short form devotional content, feel free to subscribe to the Charm City Church podcast. That is a daily devotional podcast. It should only take up five minutes of your day. Go ahead and subscribe to that found on all major podcast networks and feel free to join us every Wednesday at Charm. City Church, 413 Constant Friendship Boulevard, Edmonton, Maryland, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. God bless you. I love you guys. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time.